Tonight, as you're having a seat, get your Bibles and go with me to Mark chapter number 11. That's where we're going to launch out from. But tonight, I want to talk to you about a subject called keeping a holy heart. Keeping a holy heart. It's Passion Week. This is the week that we remember the events that Jesus Christ went through leading up to the crucifixion, the burial, and eventually the resurrection of our Lord. It's a significant time, but it's also a holy time. Remember, there was a time where it was Good Friday, and I was at the store picking up some items, and, uh, you know, probably actually getting grape juice and, and bread for our family to take communion. And uh, while I was there at the store, I remember I ran into one of my, my friends who's a believer, great brother in the Lord, and I was talking to him, and I said, hey, it's Good Friday. And he says, yeah, I was telling my, my, my associate that, and I said, hey, it's Good Friday. And he says, well, it wasn't good for Jesus. And I thought, wow, that's amazing, you know, that someone would think in those terms, And oftentimes we look at this week and we say, what's different about this week? You know, if it's Holy Week, if it's Passion Week, what's so holy about it? I mean, it doesn't seem like going into this week when we look at things like the death of Jesus, his suffering, right? Even his passion, when you wonder why it's Passion Week, is because he, his passion was really his suffering. We say, well, that's not good, right? And we have this mindset that any pain, any suffering, any trial isn't good. And so we kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater. And yet this week, as we remember what Jesus did, we need to understand about holiness and why there are certain times and seasons that should be holy, or really, when I'm talking about holy, I mean like set apart. You understand? That it's exclusive. This week from Palm Sunday to Resurrection Sunday had significant events that led to the greatest event that our entire salvation hinges on. And that's why it's so holy to us. That's why we have to keep it holy. In fact, 1 Peter 3.15a in the uh, Christian Standard Bible says, But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy. A lot can happen in a week. How many of you had your world turned upside down all in the matter of one week, right? Some of you guys say, it's a day, Pastor. Just one day my whole world can turn upside down. But if you knew you only had one week to live, what would you do? Think about that for a second. Some people would say, well, I'd take a vacation. Some people, I'd spend all the time I could with family. Oh, I'd go and I'd talk to people that I hadn't seen, my friends. You know, some people would be on a rescue mission. I'm going to tell everybody I can before I go to heaven, right? I'm going to tell everyone about Jesus. I'm going to make sure to do everything that I, I need to do and wrap everything up. I'm going to tie up loose ends, right? Well, Jesus here, leading up to the events of the cross, knows that he's got one week. Now, obviously, he's got eternity because he's living forever in eternity, and he has his assignment, and he knew what he was going to do. But as far as his earthly ministry, wrapping up, accomplishing the work of redemption, he had one week to live. And so we can see that Jesus lived on purpose and that these events were significant. And so knowing that he had one final week before the cross, and knowing that the significance of what he chose to do the week before, we can see from the Bible that it places a value and an importance on this. Here's what I'm talking about. Let me put this to you in some, some numbers. Some of you guys like numbers, right? There are 24 chapters of the Bible that deal with the last week of Jesus' life before he dies and is buried and is raised again. Okay? 24 chapters. Now, contrast that for a second with the chapters dedicated to the resurrection. Now, in addition to the Gospels, I'm going outside of the Gospels too, all right? So I'm talking whole chapters dedicated to this. We get seven chapters of the Bible dedicated to what happened in the time period of the resurrection, after he's raised to life again, before he ascends to the Father. Seven verses 24. How many know that speaks, right? That holds weight. There is a significant amount of Scripture, an amount of things that Jesus did, said, taught. And so what, what happened? 
What did Jesus do during this week? Can I just give you like the Cliff Notes version? Can I give you the highlight reel? All right, kind of like last week on this episode of Jesus. Here we go. What did Jesus do? He ate at a friend's house. He was anointed for his burial. He, he came into Jerusalem with shouts of Hosanna. He cleansed the temple of wrong people and wrong things that were going on. He cursed a fig tree. He taught a lesson about it to his disciples. He taught in the temple on everything from the kingdom of God, his own authority, to paying taxes and what a generous heart really is. He predicted the destruction of the temple and told his disciples of the end times. He had Passover dinner in an upper room, washed his disciples' feet, giving them an example to follow of servanthood. He took a walk and gave them his final words on prayer, on staying connected to him and staying connected to the Father, on life in the Spirit, and an exhortation to be encouraged that what they were about to experience wasn't final. He prayed, was betrayed, tried, beaten, crucified, and buried. What a week that was. Wow, right? All that happened in the span of one week. And in all this activity, I can see that Jesus shows us how to make the week holy. Because Jesus is holy, right? He shows us how. In fact, Jesus says, I've come to show you how to live life as the perfect man, right? He is perfect, and his life on the earth was perfect. Therefore, when we look at Jesus, we can see the perfect example of how we ought to live our lives today. Not this week only, but every week of our lives, keeping a holy heart. How do we do it? How to keep a holy heart? We see this in what Jesus did during this holy week, how to keep a holy heart. First thing is this, first thing is this, is first things first, cleanse the temple. Notice that when Jesus came into Jerusalem, the Bible says he came in, one of the translations says he looked around, checked everything out, and then he left. And then on Monday, he comes in, and he just cleans house. In fact, let's look at it in Mark chapter number 11, verse number 15, and verse number 16. Mark chapter 11, starting in verse number 15, it says, So they came to Jerusalem. Then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. Verse 16, And he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. He rebukes them and says, My father's house should be a house of prayer for all nations, but you've turned it into a den of thieves. Jesus looked around and saw that things were out of order. There were things that were unholy happening in a holy place. And so what did Jesus do? Jesus took care of the issue. He said, this is wrong, and we got to get this out of here. And so he cleansed the temple. In fact, this wasn't the first time that he had done this. This was the second time that he had done this. So here Jesus looks around his father's house and he says, this is not right. This can't be happening here. This is a holy place and therefore I'm going to be keeping it holy. You all have to go, right? Get out of here. This is not the place for that. This is not a, this is not a, a thrift mart, right? This is not a, a swap meet. This is the house of God. And so I need you to get out of here and not do what you're doing here. And so here he is and he leaves us an example. In the same way, when we look at our lives, we need to understand that this holy week, there might be things that as we take a look at our lives, we look at them and we say, hey, that's out of order. i got to get that out of my life. In fact, you guys understand that this is the same time that Passover is about ready to happen. Do you know that with Passover, before they came to the Passover, they literally took brooms and they swept their house and they had to get all the leaven out of their house, anything that would cause bread to rise. And the reason why is because the, the biblical principle is a little leaven leavens the whole lump. They would knead that leaven into the dough, and it would cause the whole thing to expand. So the principle here is, is that Jesus is cleansing the temple, and we look at Passover, and we realize they were sweeping the leaven out of their house. What were they doing? They were getting anything that could corrupt their life 
out. And so in our lives, if we're going to keep our lives holy, if we're going to keep every day, every week, every moment of our life holy, we got to take a look around and see the things that are wrong. See the things that might be influencing us in the wrong way that can work its way through us, and we got to sweep those things out of our lives. We've got to keep things holy. We've got to keep our purpose holy. We've got to make sure that our motives are holy. We've got to make sure that those things on the inside as we take a look down stay holy. 2 Corinthians chapter number 7, verse number 1 in the New Living Translation says this. It's a great verse. It just talks about, in, in chapter 6, right at the end, it talks about how God wants to be our God personally. He wants to be in the midst of his people. And he wants us to be holy. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 1 in the New Living Translation, I'm going to read it to you. It says, because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves. Everybody say, cleanse ourselves. From everything that can defile our body or spirit. Now notice we're a three-part being, and one of the parts of our being is missing from this equation, isn't it? It says body and spirit. I believe that the way that we win that war, the way that we do that, is fought in the soul realm, right? Because you have to search it out. You have to look into it. Is there anything defiling? Is there anything going on? Is there anything that I'm doing in the flesh, or is there anything in my spirit, anything that's gone wrong in there, right? Maybe it's an offense. Maybe it's unforgiveness. There's something that's lingering there. There's a spiritual condition that's going on, a stronghold that you're coming up against that you have to deal with. And the way that you deal with that is that you look for it. You examine. You take a look down deep inside. You get with God. You pray and you say, God, show me what's up. Shine the light in here, God. Let's take a look at what's going on. And then you look at what's happening. And when you see, when it is exposed and you see what's going on, then you start to make a decision. You make a choice to cleanse. That's that sweeping agent. And you start to pray those things off. You start to break those strongholds spiritually. You, you start to get those things physically that are hindering you out of your life. You start to sweep that out. So it says, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit. And let us, look at this, and let us... Work toward complete holiness. Other translations say perfecting holiness. See, we're not going to be perfect while we're here on the earth. Why? Because we live in an imperfect, sinful body. We still have this flesh fighting against our spirit. And that's why it's so important that we make a decision and a determination to say, I'm going to work at this. I'm going to practice righteousness. I'm going to do what God tells me to do. It's going to be a struggle. I need to be patient with myself. I need to be patient with the process. Don't we just hate patience? I do. But look at this, the last part, because we fear God. See, a lot of people say, I love God, but they don't want to change. Why? Because they don't fear him. God is saying, if you're going to be holy, if you're going to be separate, if you're going to be set apart, exclusive to me, then guess what? There's got to be a fear of me that recognizes and realizes that I could cast your soul into hell and be just in doing so. But because of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross now, because of our faith in him now, we can have that judgment passed over us, but it doesn't excuse us to live a sinful life and an unholy life. But now we can cleanse ourselves and we can live holy unto the Lord because that is the very desire that God has. To keep holy heart, we need to get rid of the things that defile, things like unforgiveness, things like sexual immorality, things like hate, things like envy or covetousness. I just went to a mall for the first time in, 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 gosh, I can't even remember how long. 
I mean, at like a legit indoor mall, and I was walking around, and I was looking in the stores, and I was just thinking, my gosh, who buys these things? You know what I mean? It just kind of was like, is this what we call fashion these days, you know? I don't think I would have known how to wear any of the stuff that they had on these, these uh, you know, mannequins and things like that. I was just kind of baffled at it. And yet I see these price tags on these clothes, and I'm going, not only how would you wear it, but who would pay that? I mean, like, I could dig that out of a trash can, you know, like some of the styles that I'm looking at. I must be getting old because I think, you know, I'm, I'm hearing some older voices in my head right now. I'm just going to leave that alone. But the thing about it is, is this, is that there is a covetousness. There is this, this drive to buy. You know, we see packages on people's doorsteps piled up. We can see people that are spending money on things that they don't need constantly. The deal of the day, the flash deal, buy now. There's always a sale going on. That's why I'm never in a rush to buy anything because I'm like, well, if I miss this one, there's going to be another one in two days. You know, like not a big deal here. We can always find it for less. But covetousness, these are things that can defile us if we allow them to continue on. All these can all be heart matters that can keep us from being holy. They can keep us defiled and in a position where we're not holy with God. That's where Jesus comes in and he cleanses the temple. He gets those things out of there. I heard this story, I don't know if it's a true story or not, of a master painter in Italy who was commissioned to paint the life of Christ on a wall, kind of like a fresco, a big mural on the wall. And so he started his work and made it his life's work. It was going to take him decades to do this work. And so he went about and he started with the the central figure, which was Jesus Christ. And he started with his birth. And so he went around town and he was looking at different people and looking at different models to try and find one. And he found a, a young boy and he, he asked the parents if he could paint this young boy as the face of Christ. And they said, yes, absolutely. And so he had this boy sit for him as he painted this mural and painted the face of Christ as a baby patterned after this young boy. Decades went by and he continued to paint. He painted the miracles. He painted uh, the, the cross. He painted all these things. And he came to a part where he had to put Judas betraying Jesus. And so he just was hitting a wall and he couldn't really figure out where to go or what model to use, that sort of a thing. And so he decided he went down by the local tavern. Where there were people that were getting drunk, people he knew that were down on their lives, people he knew that would be angry and bitter, and people he knew that he could probably take a look at and study. One man stumbled out of the tavern one night and fell down in a gutter, just a complete mess. And the guy rolled him over and he's looking at his face, and just staring at him and studying him so they can go back and paint the face of Judas. And the drunk man opened his eyes and looked up and he says, Master, Master, don't you remember me? I'm the boy that you painted as Jesus Christ's face as a child. Like I said, I don't know if that story is true or not. But the point of it is this, is that if we're not careful... The things of this world can defile us. And rather than being holy and being like Jesus, we can end up being like the world, being embittered and battered and beat up and left there in the gutter. And yet Jesus says, you can be holy. You have the choice. You have the option. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that defiles. Can somebody say amen to that? Amen. Amen. Second thing is this. If we're going to keep a holy heart. Second thing is this, that we have to speak the truth. Jesus, during this holy week, spoke the truth. In fact, he spoke parables. Throughout this whole week, we saw him having conversations. He was teaching his disciples. He was teaching the people in the temple. He was confronting the religious leaders. He was praying to his father. All kinds of words all throughout these chapters. 24 chapters, and a lot of them are in the red letters of Jesus. Jesus spoke a lot during this time. In fact, Jesus has a prayer that's contained in the Scriptures for us in the book of John. Why don't you turn there with me to the Gospel of John. This time you're in Mark. Turn with me to John. 
And in John chapter number 17, they call this the high priestly prayer of Jesus. I'm so thankful that John contained the words of Jesus, the, the, even the, the conversations they had just walking down the road. They started in the upper room, they, st- they left, and they're walking along, and here Jesus is speaking to his disciples and having these discourses, and then finally Jesus takes some time to pray. And in John 17, I want to read verse number 17 through verse number 20. I'm going to read this to you again in the New Living Translation. You can read along in whatever translation you have. But let's look at it together in John chapter 17, verse 17 through verse number 20. In New Living Translation, it says this. It says, make them holy. Everybody say holy. By your truth. Teach them your word. Look at this. Which is truth. See, the world would like to define truth as whatever you feel. Oh, that's your truth, but that's not my truth because that didn't happen to me. So if it, if it happened to you that way, that's your truth. But if it happens to me another way, that's my truth. I've got my own truth, right? They define truth as experience. They define truth as facts. But there is a higher truth than experience, feelings, facts. And the higher truth is what God says. And the reason why I know that is because God is the one who speaks And things exist out of invisible places. They weren't there before. The fact was there was nothing there. But when God spoke, something became. So that shows me that God's word supersedes even the facts. And that also shows me that I can't base the truth of what God does by making something appear out of the invisible by what I feel about it, how I've experienced it, It doesn't work. It only works if we allow God's word to be the absolute truth. Truth has to be truth regardless of the circumstance. It means it'll be true here. It'll be true here. It'll be true here. Facts may change in different places. Experiences change in different places, right? You get married here, it's one thing. You get married in another nation, it's another thing. Are you understanding what I'm saying? You could make a certain wage doing a certain job here in the United States, but take that same job to another place and you'll make a different wage. See, experience changes. Feelings change. I can go to a grocery store in my neighborhood and feel totally good. But then if I go across the world to a neighborhood that I don't know, a bunch of people that I've never been around before in my life, a bunch of languages that I don't speak, right, and I go into a grocery store, all of a sudden my feelings about it are quite different. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. Because you moved here and had that experience when, whoa, look at how big this place is. Nobody's talking the same language. I don't even understand. You could even be speaking English and still be speaking a different language. You know what I'm saying? Right? Anybody ever traveled to the south or the east coast or something like that? And you go, what are they talking about? See, feelings can change situationally, circumstantially change from place to place. But the truth is going to be the truth in this grocery store, in this marriage, on that job. The truth is going to be the same no matter where you take it. So with that in mind, let's read the verse again. Look at what Jesus said. He said, make them holy by your... Oh, come on, you got to help me preach this sermon tonight. Here we go. Let's try it again. And online, come on, you guys got to help me out too. Make them holy by your what? Teach them your word, which is what? So the word is truth. And the word is the agent that makes us holy. Therefore, if we speak the truth, we're speaking holy things. And we ourselves are a holy people. Verse 18, just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. 
That's why you didn't get beamed up by Jesus into heaven when you got saved. Because there was a purpose for your life. There's a reason why you're still on the planet. Otherwise, if all it was about was just getting saved and then just hanging out and waiting, I mean, God, you might as well put like a, an airport lounge for the believers to go sit in and just kind of chill and hang out until it's time to get on the, the plane and go up, right? But he doesn't. He says, you're saved, but you're not just saved, you're sent. There's a purpose for your life. There's a purpose for your holiness. God, you sent me into the world and I'm holy. I'm sending your holy people into the world. Next verse, look at what it says, verse 19. And I give myself as a, what's that word right there? Holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy, once again, how? By your truth. See, the truth is, is that Jesus Christ died for our salvation. The truth is that the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ cleanses us from sin. The truth is, is that you can live a holy life by the word of God. And so he says, I'm going to the cross and I'm going to die and become the sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. Verse 20, I'm praying not only for these disciples, not just for Peter, James, John, Bartholomew, Thaddeus, James, James the Lesser, right? Not just praying for them, but look at this, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder tonight, did anybody believe the message of the apostles? Did you know that Jesus prayed for you? I mean, that blows my mind. That before I was ever a twinkle in my grandmother's, grandfather's, grandpa's, granddaddy's eyes, thousands of years ago, Jesus was walking on a road, talking to his disciples, and stopped and started to pray, and he included me in his prayers. Oh, my Jesus. Wow, that's amazing, isn't it? And yet here it is right there in the Scripture. God knows who you are. God knows where you live. God knows what kind of marriage you have. God knows the relationship you have with your kids. God knows your neighbors. God knows your boss. He knows the strained relationships you have as well as the good relationships you have. He knows the questions that you have. He also knows the answers. You may not be ready for all of them. You might not ever get any of them that you desire because maybe that's not what God is leading you to. But here's the thing is that Jesus prayed for you. He prayed for you to be holy. And he said the avenue for you to be holy is through this message, through the truth of God's word. 19th century Scottish theologian John Brown defined holiness as thinking as God thinks and willing as God wills. Do you guys catch that? Thinking as God thinks and willing, desiring to do as God desires to do or as God wills. That means to me that practical holiness can be defined by the truth of God's Word. Because how are we going to think like God if we don't ever get the Word of God in our lives? These are God's thoughts. God says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you. Thoughts of good. Thoughts to give you a future. And I hope you're going to find that in the Word of God. So if we're going to think as God thinks, we need to get the Word of God, His thoughts, in us. And if we're going to will as God wills, then we need to see what the will of God is. You can find that in the Word of God. That's why speaking the truth is so important. That's why changing our confession, speaking the language of God, the language of faith, why these things are so important to us is because it makes us holy. It separates us. It sets us apart. Luke chapter 22, verse number 42 in the New King James Version, Jesus is speaking. Remember, this is all during the week that Jesus is going to the cross. Jesus said a lot of stuff. 
And here's another prayer that Jesus prayed on his way to the cross. Luke twenty two forty two. Jesus is in the garden. He's got his disciples praying. He goes a little bit further up, and he says this. He says, Father, if it's your will, remember, willing is God wills. If it's your will, take this cup away from me. What cup? He's talking about the cup of wrath for sin. See, the Bible speaks of the wrath of God like grapes that were pressed. And he takes this cup of these pressed, crushed grapes because the grapes, when you crush a grape, what what happens? The the juice spills out, right? It's a picture of Jesus' suffering that Jesus was crushed. He was bruised for our transgressions. And by his stripes, we are healed. See, as that grape is crushed, the juice poured out. As Jesus was beaten and bruised, the blood poured out. And so that was like that cup of juice. And God took that cup and he poured out that cup, that wrath, on Jesus Christ on the cross. So here Jesus feels the agony already beginning there in the garden. The Bible says his sweat became like big drops of blood. And so here he is in agony, and he prays more earnestly. He says, Father, if it's your will, take this cup away from me. In other words, if there's any other way, God, let's take it. Because I know what's coming. Nevertheless, Jesus says, not my will, but yours be done. In other words, if God, if this is the way it's got to happen, so be it. Let's go. Right there, Jesus just showed me he is the manliest man there ever was to walk into a beating that he knew he was going to be crucified and died. My Jesus is no wimp. He's no sissy. He didn't back down from a fight. No, he went willingly to it. Wow. My goodness. Not my will, but yours be done. God, I know that tomorrow may hold some pain. God, I know that speaking truth to my family might have them reject me and turn their back on me. God, I know that if I confess the wrong that I've done, God, it it might bring the ideas and the opinions of others around me down, but God, I know it's the right thing. And God, not my will, but yours be done. Speaking the truth, it sets you apart as holy. Declaring the word of God, knowing the God thoughts, knowing what God thinks about you. That's why I love the fact that tonight we sang that song again, I'm a friend of God. You need to know that it's not just in the bad things, it's in the good things too. God loves you. You can declare the truth of God. Sometimes we can beat ourselves up and be our worst critics. And yet God isn't sitting there criticizing you. He loves you. He'll help you clean it up and he'll help you move on in sanctification and holiness and all those things that we need to understand and we need to do. But also God says, you are my child. You are beloved. You are cherished. You are treasured. You are my friend. You are my brother. You are my child. You are my son. You are my daughter. You are the apple of my eye. You are well beloved of the Lord. You are favored all these things. We need to speak the truth of God's word that sets us apart as holy. Last one for us tonight is this. The last thing is this, is to live by example. Jesus lived by example. His whole life was an example for us to live by. And throughout this holy week, Jesus showed us he lived by example. Think about it. He cleansed the temple, and then what did he do? He taught them. My father's house should be a house of prayer for all nations, but you've turned it into a den of thieves. The Bible says he taught them that afterwards, right? So what did he do? He showed them and then he told them. There was show and tell going on, right? How about this one? He cursed the fig tree. May you never produce fruit again. Next day they're walking by, it's withered up from the roots. Disciples all go crazy over it. Jesus, look at the, the fig tree which you cursed. It's withered up from the roots. And he says, hey, have faith in God. I say to you that if you say to this mountain, be thou removed and be cast in the sea, 
that it shall uproot and it'll jump into the sea. It'll be done for you. If you believe that you receive those things you've asked in prayer, then you will have those things that you've prayed. See, Jesus took the opportunity not just to show, but also to tell them. He lived by example. Bible says that on the night in which he was betrayed, that here they are having the Passover meal, and afterwards Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. I believe that Jesus was replacing the Passover with communion at that point. He was instituting a new way. Why? Because Jesus was fulfilling the Passover in himself. He is our Passover lamb. And he left us communion saying, do this in remembrance of me. Remember my body and remember my blood. Aren't you glad God doesn't make it hard on us, right? He said, remember two things about this night. Body and blood, that's all you got to remember. Now, after supper, the Bible says that Jesus took his robes off and he laid them aside. And he girded himself, he wrapped himself up with a towel. He took a bit of water and he went over to his disciples' feet. Now, let's stop right there for a second. Let's talk about the disciples' feet. Because they were not laced up in some Nikes. They did not have what we know as closed-toed shoes. They had leather sandals with straps that wrapped around. And they were walking around dusty roads and stone streets. Streets that animals walked on. You ever been to a parade and seen the horses go by? You know, horses leave road apples. Ever been to the zoo and seen the animal cages? I remember one time we went by the rhinoceros one time, and my kids just went berserk because, my goodness, that was a lot of water on the ground. You know what I'm saying? It was just like, whoa, okay, kids, let's, let's move on. You're like, no, we can't look away. You know, once you see it, you can't unsee it. So here's the disciples walking on roads that donkeys and camels and chickens and all dogs, you know, are walking on, that sort of thing. So their feet, as they're walking along, get nasty. It's hot. It's an arid desert climate. There's dusty roads everywhere. They got dust and dirt and who knows what else on their feet. And Jesus takes a bit of water, wraps himself in a towel, and he bends down and he gets their feet and he washes their feet. And then he takes the towel that he's girded with and he wipes them. He took their dirt on himself. This, this might bake your noodle tonight, if you think about it. Jesus washed the feet of Judas, his betrayer. Wow. He fed him, too. And he loved him, too. Then he goes back and he puts his clothes back on afterwards. It was a humiliating thing. Peter had a conversation with him and said, not, not so, Lord, not me. You're not washing my feet. Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you're not clean. He said, then, then head, toe, everything, whatever you got to do. He said, not just the feet, Peter, just the feet. Look at what it says in John 13, verse 12 through 15, in the New King James Version. It says, so when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I've done to you? I love the fact that he asked questions. My dad used to do that with me growing up. The more he'd ask questions, the more I'd have to think. Okay, what's he talking about? Right? Like, was it right for you to disobey your mom? I know the answer, but I don't want to say it right now. So here's Jesus. Do you know what I've done to you? Verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. So don't get it wrong. I haven't just shown you that you're better than me or greater than me 
or have more authority than me. He says, you're right. I am your teacher and I am your Lord. Verse 14, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Verse 15, for I've given you an example. Everybody say an example. Come on online, say an example that you should do as I have done to you. What is Jesus saying? The example is serve one another. That we are to love one another. That we are to lead by example. You know, I don't want to follow somebody that's not going anywhere. I don't want to follow somebody that's going down. I want to follow somebody that's going up. I want to follow somebody that I can see is actually going somewhere. And the world isn't going to follow the church if the church is just sitting around twiddling our thumbs or acting like we're in the airport lounge waiting to go up to heaven. The world wants to see a people that is sold out for Jesus Christ, a people who are holy, a people who are different. Listen, if the church looks like the world, then why change? If the church is getting drunk and sleeping around and doing everything that the world does, then why do I need Jesus for that? I've already got that. But when the church is holy, when we're separate, when we're different, when we're peculiar, when we're unusual, when, when, when we're speaking holy things and when we're doing holy things and when we ourselves are holy, we carry it into a world and the world steps up and takes notice and says, hey, there's someone that's going somewhere. There's somebody that's on to something. Hey, their life is different. I got to get a hold of that. That's what this is about. If your heart is holy, then the example of your life will show it. The example will be evidence to all of the fact that you are holy. D.L. Moody said a holy life will make the deepest impression. Lighthouses blow no horns. They just shine. Remember a time I was at the store and I was just picking up some groceries and getting some. I started with the store. I ended with the store. I didn't plan that, but that's how this message ended, I guess. But here I am shopping at the store and picking up groceries and cereal and stuff like that and walking around and just living my life, you know, not thinking about the people around me. This was pre-pandemic, so no masks, you know, uh, walking around the store. And I had this beautiful lady just come up to me, older woman, just, I, I mean, just big smile. And, and she said, sir, excuse me, excuse me, are you a believer? And I looked at her and I said, yes, I am. Are you? And she said, well, yeah, yeah. I said, cool, you know, that's awesome. God bless you. And she said, God bless you. She says, I could just tell by how you carry yourself. I could just tell. I said, that's so neat. That's probably the best compliment that I could receive. Thank you so much. I love you, my sister. God bless you. And we said goodbye. And I carry that with me, not to tell you how holy I am, how what you all should be looking at me right now. It's not what this is about. What it's about is simply this, is that as believers, if we can tell, because we know. I had a guy come appraise my house, and he asked me, hey, how do you like that book? I'm like, he's not asking because he wants to know about the book. He's a believer, right? I said, I love it. I love this and that. And where do you go to church? Oh, man, I go to this church over here. Oh, pff, that's awesome, man. God bless you, brother, right? We, we know. We can tell. There's telltale things about Christians. We understand. But here's the deal. What happens when the unbelievers are watching? Because they are. And they see your life is different. Something's, something's just unusual about them. They're, they don't want to go to the bar with us after work. They're not running into the things. They're not cussing with us. They're not telling the dirty jokes at the coffee pot. What's going on with their life? There's something different. And they may ridicule you. They may persecute you. They may put you down. They may shun you and exclude you. 
But when their world falls apart and they're looking for answers, they're going to come and find you and say, can you pray for me? Can you share with me? Can you just encourage me? Because whatever you've got, I need it. That's the emphasis. That's the goal for a holy life. For all of us, just like Jesus. Jesus lived a holy life. He was separate from sinners. The Bible says that he suffered and that he died outside of the city. Therefore, let's go to him. Let's go to him and let's be a holy people outside the camp, outside the city. That's why we separate ourselves, not because we're exclusive, not because we don't want to reach the world. No, we've got a rescue mission. Jesus sent us to the world. But we separate ourselves from sinning and from sinful things, and we are holy. Why? So that we can participate in the life of Jesus Christ. We need to keep a holy heart. Can anybody give the Lord a praise tonight for the Word of God? I just want to take a, a couple of minutes and pray. I, I love doing this, and I love allowing the Spirit of God to just solidify those things in our hearts. Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes? And let's just pray together for a couple of minutes. Father, we're so grateful tonight that you are a holy God. And, Lord, you've called us from your word to be holy as you are holy. God, I ask right now in this holy moment that you would just speak to your people. Whether you're here live or online, just take a moment and say, God, what are you speaking to me personally right now? God spoke a word to you tonight, would you just take a moment and write it down? I know if I don't write stuff down, I forget. I don't want you to forget. If you're here with a faithful friend, a spouse, children, maybe you're with a group online watching, you'd like to share that with the group. Maybe just show them the note or let them know right now. If it's appropriate online, you want to put it in the comment section, that's kind of fun. Type of scripture or a word that God gave you. Father, we thank you for those things that you've spoken to our hearts, God. We commit back to your care those things that you've committed to us, Lord. We commit our way to you, Lord, so that you can establish our steps. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to take these last couple minutes and talk to you about your eternal life. Don't get up. Don't leave during this time. Come on, don't log off online. I want to make sure that your heart and your life is right with Jesus Christ before we leave this place. Tonight, you've heard the good news. You've heard the gospel message that Jesus Christ came, lived the perfect life, lived a holy life. He went to the cross and died and was buried and was raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. A lot of people can tell you that. They know that. A lot of people know who Jesus is. A lot of people have heard the story since they were children. They were raised in church. Their parents told them they were Christians or they were told they were born in a Christian nation. And they assumed that because they were born into a Christian nation in a Christian home, because they went to religious church services, maybe Sabbath school, Sunday school, catechism class, their parents hung a cross or St. Christopher on their neck, or maybe because they were baptized or Christian as a child, that they're right with God and they get to go to heaven. But nothing could be further from the truth. Did you know that nowhere in the Bible does it say that because you know the story of Jesus, because you're raised in church, your parents tell you you're a Christian, because you're born in America, because you attend religious classes, wear religious jewelry, that you get to go to heaven? 
it doesn't work like that. Nowhere in the Bible does it say your upbringing, your location, your family association, or what you know. Sometimes people think that if they just know God, they're, they're right with God. Nowhere in the Bible say just know God, because if that was the standard, then demons would be going to heaven, because they know God. The Bible says, but they tremble. Why? Because they know they're not going to heaven. The devil himself knows who Jesus is and can quote scriptures out of his mouth. He's not a Christian headed for heaven. Sometimes people think, well, I don't just know about it. I do it. I, I, I help out. I give money to charities. I've been nice to my neighbors, kind to my family members. I, I've cleaned up my act. I used to be bad, but, I mean, I've really been good lately. One guy told me, Pastor, I'm working on my resume. Like God's waiting at the gates of heaven saying, can I, can I have your, oh, we need to check their references. It's not God. God's not doing that. Sometimes people think because they got involved in church, helped out, sang in a choir, carried a pastor Bible, made decisions, people thought of them as a leader that they get to go to heaven. Show that nowhere in the Bible. Check it out. Nowhere. Does it say you can be good enough to earn your way into heaven? That's shocking to a lot of people because they think God wants us to be good. And if I can just be good enough, maybe if my good outweighs my bad or, you know, maybe if I'm not as bad as those guys, usually there's another person that we think that we're better than. Well, I haven't murdered. I haven't stolen. I'm not on the internet blasting people. I'm, I'm a really good person. I'm, I'm like, they should go to hell, but I shouldn't, right? And yet, do you know that nowhere in the Bible says you can be good enough to earn your way into heaven? Because the standard is perfection. The only one who is perfect, his name's Jesus. The Bible tells all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You're not going to make it to heaven based on your own merit or your own goodness. Everybody look up here at me for a second. It's not about what you have up here in your head, knowing who God is, knowing about Jesus, not about what you've done out here in your hands, your good deeds, church involvement. Are you still watching? It's about your heart. Jesus said you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven except that you be born again. That means there's no other way contrary to what popular culture would have us to believe. Can't get there your way, my way, some well-meaning church committee's way. Can't do whatever you want to do and end up in heaven. No, you've got to get there God's way. And all throughout the Bible, God's way is that you simply must be born again. You've got to be born again. What does that mean? Well, from the beginning of the Bible, to the end of the Bible, being born again has always meant the same thing. It means that you've given God all of your heart and that you've given God all of your life. That willful surrender of all of your heart and life to Jesus Christ is what God is after. Now, remember, Jesus surrendered all of his heart. He surrendered all of his life on the cross. He gave it all, laid it all down for you and for me. And now he says, if you'll give me all of your heart and all of your life, I'll give you all my heart and all my life. What a trade, right? All rags for his riches our filth for his cleanliness and his holiness, our dead life for his living, valuable life. Wow, what a trade, what an exchange that we give. You can't earn it, you can't pay for it, there's no deed you can do. Climb the highest mountain, cross the deepest ocean, do enough good deeds, sing enough songs, know enough scriptures, you can't earn it. It has to be received because God offers it to all. It's the free gift of God in Christ Jesus. So tonight... I'm giving you that opportunity to receive the gift. Here's what it's going to look like in a moment. I'm going to count to three just like this. One, two, three. And then I'm going to hit my hand on this microphone. Bang, just like that. When you hear the sound of my hand popping that microphone, bang, just like that. That's your opportunity to simply raise your hand. What you're doing by the raising of your hand is you're making a statement. You're saying something. You're saying, I would like to receive that gift. I want to give God all my heart. I want to give God all my life. I want to be born again, headed for heaven, denying my presence in hell. I'll see your hand go up. I'll count it. And then you can put it right back down. Online, you can put it up for a moment and then put it right back down. You might be thinking, whoa, 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 wait a second, time out. Pastor, if I raise my hand, I'll be embarrassed. Yeah, you might be embarrassed. That's okay. Let's get over that. 
Just think of the trade-off. Isn't it better to be embarrassed for a moment than it is to end up in hell forever and ever and ever and ever? Jesus said this. He said, if you confess me before man, I'll confess you before my Father who's in heaven. But if you deny me, he says, I will deny you. Tonight, it's your call. Tonight, it's your choice. You can sit there. Do nothing. That's your call. It's your choice. God loves you enough to give you that free will choice. Or how about this? Get right with God tonight if you know you need to. Who should raise your hand if you've been running from God instead of to God? I'm speaking to you. Who should raise your hand if you're not sure about your salvation? Make sure tonight. Who should raise your hand if you've never done this before? Maybe you've been in church all your life, but you never crossed that line. Tonight is your night of salvation. Or finally, who should raise your hand? Maybe you're half-hearted, lukewarm. Little in, little out, little up, little down, little token prayer every now and again. Occasional church attendance. God is something in your life, but he's not everything. You're not opposed to God, but you're not wholehearted for God. Listen, Jesus said, when I come, I want to find you hot or cold, because if I find you lukewarm, he says, I'll vomit you from my mouth. Tonight, if that's you, and that's the condition of your heart, get ready to get your hand up. I'm going to count to three. Pop my hand on this microphone. If you need to do this, get ready to get your hand up all across this auditorium or even online. Ready? Here we go. One, two, three. Let me see your hands. Just raise them up high for me right now if that's you. Need to give God all of your heart and need to give God all of your life. Is there anybody? Thank you. There's one in the back. Got you over there. God bless you. Who else tonight? Need to give God all of your heart and all of your life. Anybody else? Come on, this is your time and this is your moment of salvation. Anybody else online? Come on, get it up right now if that's you. Pastor, I'm alone. No one's going to see me. Yeah, God sees you. God's watching right now. Go ahead and raise that hand up if that's you. Anybody else here live that I did not already see? I believe there's four more of you. You need to give God all of your heart. And you need to give God all of your life. You say, Pastor, how do you know that? Well, if God can speak to me about the message, do you think that he can speak to me about the condition of people's hearts? Tonight, you need to get right with God. Where you at? We got one already. Come on, where you at? Just get it up high right now if that's you. Anybody else? Come on, let's go for God. They're pointing right over here. Hey, all right, two. Okay, we got three more. Say, Pastor, it's getting awkward. Lean into it. Because the Spirit of God might be tugging at your heart right now. He's using that discomfort to draw you to himself. The Bible says with cords of love, he draws you. If you feel like your heart's being drawn and your heart's beating out of your chest, you're breaking out in a cold sweat, wishing I'd shut up, could it be that God's speaking to you? I think so. Who else tonight? There's three more of you. Need to get right with God. It's going to take another moment. We're not in a rush. Hey, all right. There's two more.
might be thinking, what's he waiting for? You. Come on, if you need to give God all of your heart and give God all of your life, this is your moment. Anybody else? There's three wise people already. I know there's two more. I wish I could make you do it, but I can't. It's got to be your choice. I can't make the choice for you. You have to do it on your own. We're all going to stand before God ourselves, by ourselves, and give an account for our lives. You've got this moment right now that you're accountable for. God's going to say, I, I had that pastor waiting on you, giving you opportunity after opportunity, and you let it pass you by if you do tonight. Don't let that be you. And is there anybody else? There's two more. You need to give God all of your heart, and you need to give God all of your life. We're going to wrap this up in one more moment. I want to make sure. Thank you. There's four there. There's one more. Whoa. One more. Let's go for God if that's you. this up in one minute, so I'm going to give you a countdown from 10. And if you've just been waiting all this time and you're just like on the edge and you know it's you, while I'm counting down, just shoot your hand up in there if that's you. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. All right, let's do this. Four of you raised your hand. One of you needed to, but you didn't. It's not too late. All four of you, I want to pray with you. I went to an altar with my wife. We said some words. She was uh, my, my fiance at the time. After we said those words, she was my wife. My whole life changed. Tonight, I want to bring you to this altar. Here at this altar, you're going to meet up with Jesus. He's invisible, and you're going to say some words. You're going to look the same, smell the same, but... Your whole life's going to change. You're going to be brand new, born again. So let's all stand. And if you raised your hand or you should have raised your hand, get a hold of your coat, purse, sweater, Bible, a friend of you need a friend, throw your mask on if you got one. If you don't, still come. Just get your stuff, get a friend of your friend, get in the aisle, and meet me up front right now. Come on, let's welcome them. Come on, let's pray together here at the altar. Your life's about to change for the better. Come on down. Come on down. All four of you that raised your hand or that one that you were holding on and you need to, come on down right now. Come on down. Come on, let's keep it going for them. They're still coming. They're still coming. You can come too. This is your time. This is your moment of salvation. Anybody else, if you need to come, just come on down right now, if that's you. All right. Well, hey, praise God. Thank God you guys came. This is the best decision of your entire life. Yeah, it's not easy street from here. I'm going to be real with you guys. 
Christianity is one of the toughest things that you'll ever do because you got the devil fighting against you, telling you it's not real, fighting against your life, trying to drag you back into the things of this world. People won't understand your life. They might persecute you and turn their backs on you. Some of your best friends, some of your family members might hate you because of this. And then add to that the cares of life come on you. I got to make money. I got to do this or that, you know. And what about my life? What about my desires? Those things start to come in and choke those things. And it can be the toughest thing you you ever did. But Jesus said, he who endures to the end shall be saved. It's a lifelong commitment. Maybe the toughest thing you ever do, but it'll also be the best thing you ever do. Because in heaven, there's a reward. His name is Jesus. There's eternal life with him. There's great things ahead of you. And guess what? God even blesses you while you're here on the earth. As bad as it can be is as blessed as it can be as well. And so this is a great thing for your life. So I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer to invite Jesus in your heart. You're going to be born again right here, right now. God's going to do a miracle here at the altar like we talked about. Everybody's going to join in together. Those of you that raised your hand online or maybe you raised your hand but you didn't come forward or you need to pray this prayer with us, pray this prayer from your heart. Prayer is simply talking with God. So I'm going to give you some words to say. I want you to repeat them out loud in faith from your heart, and God's going to do the miracle. If you mess up on a word or two, don't worry about it. You're still saved. It's not abracadabra words. It's not a formula. It's your heart. So let's all bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. Everybody join us together. Those of you that raised your hand or should have raised your hand, live or online. Everybody say these words. Say, Father God, I come to you tonight in Jesus' name to give you all of my heart and all of my life. Please come into my heart. Be my Lord and my Savior. Forgive me my sin. Cleanse me with your blood. Forgive me my past and give me a future with you, Lord. For I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he came, he died, and he's raised again to life just for me. Thank you, Jesus. Let it be known that from this day on, I am a Christian. I'm saved. I'm born again, headed for heaven, denying my presence in hell. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Can we just give them a welcome to the family of God? We're so excited for you guys. Now, hey, we want to encourage you guys, like I said, to endure, to keep going, all right? And, and, and we don't want you out there by yourself. I just talked about how tough it can be, but guess what? When you got other people in the, the battle with you, man, it makes such a huge difference. And so I want to encourage you guys to stay with us, to keep coming. In fact, if you'll give us a year, see what God does. This time, Easter, next year, you'll be blown away. Look at what God did in my life. Now, to help you with that, we got some free stuff for you guys and some friends. This is my friend, Pastor Joel, over here waving at you. Good guy, nothing weird, all right? He wants to give you some free stuff, talk to you for a minute or two, and then let you guys go, okay? So if you guys just make a left turn, follow Pastor Joel for a couple minutes. Come on, let's give him a hand as they go. All right, I don't know if they have any invite cards. They might have, are we out, Ron? Do you know? Do we have any left? What's that? 1,000 cards left, okay? So if everybody grabs a handful of like 10 cards, I think we got it, all right? Grab 20, right? Don't, don't worry about the person behind you. They were late. Grab some cards on your way out, some door hangers. Okay, we got 1,000 left. Let's not let those go to waste. We threw away 20,000 of those last year. I don't want to throw any of them away this year, okay? So go grab some cards on your way out. Go invite people to church. Pray for us, all right? Pray for the church. Pray for salvations. Pray for the goodness of God. Bind the work of the enemy over this church and over your life this Easter weekend. And let's have the best Easter weekend we have ever had in our lives. Amen? It's going to be wonderful. 
going to be wonderful. Can I bless you guys as we go? Lift your hands to the Lord. Let me bless you. Father, I bless the saints of God from the top of their heads to the soles of their feet. They are blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed coming, blessed going. May everything they put their hands to, they shall prosper. And Lord, with a great big shout of faith about our inland empire, we declare that the inland empire shall be saved. Hey there, thank you so much for joining us online. What a blast getting to do church with all of you. If you just gave your heart to Jesus and prayed the salvation prayer with our pastor, congratulations and welcome to the family of God. Here at The Rock, we wanna get you plugged in and set up for success with your new walk with God. Now in a moment, I'd like you to head to our Respond to God page so you can fill out some information and we can get in touch with you. We not only wanna give you some free material, but we'd also like to get you hooked up with a friend who can help guide you through your new relationship with God. We have multiple friends available for you in any kind of interaction you'd like, whether that be a Zoom chat, a phone call, email, or any type of COVID-friendly interaction. We've got friends just for you. We have this great little booklet called Welcome to Your Destiny, Easy Steps to a Successful Future with God. If you live within the continental United States, we'd love to get this paper copy in your hands. If you don't live here, don't even worry about it. We've got an electronic copy in PDF format we'd love to get to you as well. We also have this fun little comic book for your kids out there. If any of those kids just gave their heart to Jesus, this comic book is for you. Now it helps explain their new walk with God in a fun sort of age-friendly way that they can understand. Okay, so now what I'd like you to do is go ahead and click on that link provided. And if you can't find a link, don't worry about it. We'll take you to our webpage. Just go to rockchurch.com and click on the Respond to God tab at the bottom right-hand corner. This is gonna take you to a new page where we can get all of your information so we can send you either one of these free copies and we can get you hooked up with a friend who will help walk you through these next steps. Well, it has been wonderful hearing the word of God with you today. We can't wait to see you at our next service. And remember, God loves you and so do we.